Welcome. Welcome to our worship service from the United Methodist Church, Westlake Village, for this Sunday, June 13th. We are so glad you have decided to join with us. We're worshiping on campus in our sanctuary for those who feel comfortable being out and about at this stage of the pandemic. Our health safety protocols are in place, which continue to be the pre-registering of, of health condition, mask wearing, and physical distancing. We know that this week we will be uh, hearing some words, uh, we anticipate hearing some words from the state uh, Department of Public Health, and we'll see how that affects our understanding of the guidelines by which we gather. Our task force will be meeting uh, this week to process uh, that announcement and how that impacts us. You should be aware that uh, we are aware that there's a, a, a pretty clear understanding that if you're vaccinated, your, your level of, of vulnerability to the virus is uh, significantly low. We also are aware that we are a multi-generational church and we have, uh, even this morning, we have uh, family members among us who are not vaccinated. And so we want to be uh, careful for uh, all of our generations that are a part of the church. And that is uh, what we'll be taking into consideration, not just the uh, ease or comfort for those of us who are older and vaccinated. We are a, uh, a family of faith and we are uh, looking out for one another as we celebrate the spirit of God in our life and, and what that might be to uh, how we emerge from the pandemic and how we continue on with ministry in Christ's name among one another. So be patient with us as we seek to uh, find our way forward on what's the best for us as a community of faith as, as we make sense of that. We, uh, we also are continuing online and we'll be doing that until we run out of the stamina, I think, and I don't know when that would be. So our, our intention is to do that uh, ongoing. So if you are enjoying us online through cyberspace, uh, continue to tune in and, and we should be here for you. If I'm not mistaken, this Sunday afternoon is the free meal. Uh, drop off and, and labor on that as well as the manna food drop off. So that's somewhere between 2.30 and 3.30. Those things are happening. Between 3 and 4, those things are happening. So if, if you are a supporter of that effort um, or if you'd just like to find out about it some more and maybe start doing that today, uh, contact Kathy Loeb and she'll be happy to fill you in on all the details. Um, we're having a Father's Day picnic today at uh, 4.30 to 6 out on the, on the grassy area outside. If I, if I have my information correct, you are welcome to come, but you are welcome to bring the food you're going to be eating as well as when you show up. So uh, come without empty hands and come join the fun. It's at 4.30 uh, outside. And and then I do want to draw your attention that you should have seen in the, uh, if not the newsletter, in our Friday or Sunday announcements that there'll be a special service to memorialize uh, Dana Sheehan uh, next Saturday. It's at 11.30. It's here. It's a, uh, it's a gathering event. So if, if you'd like to be a part of it, uh, masks are, are still being expected to be worn to come to that event. Uh, there's a registration through the Sheehan family, I think, um, so uh, please be attentive. 
uh, be attentive to that. All right then, uh, blessings on all of you as we gather today. And we will be now receiving from our tech team, if, I'm, if I've got this correct, our tech team, a, uh, a mission moment. We're, we're looking at Harbor House uh, this, moment, uh, this month as our mission moment. So I invite you now as we start to settle ourselves down and center ourselves for worship to uh, listen to some words about the opportunity for mission through Harbor House. Max Lucado asked the question, what if every face we see each day were a billboard that announced the true state of the owner's heart? How many of those billboards would say desperate or broken in need of repair? At a Harbor House, that is a question that we ask over and over and over again. We meet people every day who are struggling. Some are addicted and they can't seem to break free. Others are living with the powerful effects of childhood trauma. Even more of them are hungry or lonely or mentally fragile. At Harbor House, we offer a meal every day. Rental assistance for those who are trying hard to hang on to their housing. We offer the dignity of a shower, boxes of produce for families with children, and case management for all of those who want to move forward. We provide outreach in an effort to find the homeless that do not access our food or services. Most of them are living in encampments. In the outreaching process, we often find young people who are in great need of case management. After several years in the trenches with the homeless and those who struggle most, it became clear to the staff that we needed to go deeper into the causes of homelessness. When we did, we discovered for ourselves that there was a significant number of our local homeless who began their lives in foster care as children. Archbishop Desmond Tutu says, there comes a point where we need to stop pulling people out of the river and we need to go upstream and find out why they're falling in. In 2012, a new law was enacted well, well, enabling well. foster children to stay in the system longer. They can finish high school or start college. They can learn life skills and benefit from mentoring. They can get job experience. They can learn how to drive a car and maybe even get a driver's license. They can learn how to create a budget, maybe even open a bank account. These are all skills that our average 40-year-old homeless person has never acquired. And we find it's often these seemingly simple life skills that create the largest challenges for those who are homeless. We have opened our home for young men exiting the foster care system, and we're very excited about all the possibilities that our caring community can offer to these young men. Harbor House has only ever been successful because of the generosity of our faith community. The care that is offered to our clients every day by volunteers and donors is extraordinary, and we could not be more grateful. The only way forward for Harbor House and for our clients is through the continued generosity of each of us. Please continue to contribute both financially and by volunteering. The needs in our community have never been so great in the wake of COVID-19. We currently have a tsunami of households who are struggling to get their lives and their children's lives back on track. So many have enormous utility bills and months of back rent because of lost jobs. We appreciate every little thing you do.
for Harbor House in an effort to lift up those in our community who struggle most. draw your attention to the flowers that are on the chancel. We want to thank Candy Wilcox for creating a arrangement uh, for us of, as we did not have any um, altar flower requests this week. I knew the words would come to me. Forgive me. Um, so we want to thank Candy for putting in the effort to create something when we don't have requests. But I do want to remind you that we would love to have flowers any Sunday that you have a moment of celebration or, or memorializing that you want to do in the life of the church, we would love to have um, you contribute to the flower fund so that we can have flowers that you can then take home in honor of someone dear to you. I also want to remind you that uh, in a little while there'll be a song on the, or there'll be a hymn that we sing that the words will be on the screen. You are invited to sing along softly if you would like to. If you're at home, you can sing as loud as you want. Um, but for those of you that are here, sing along softly with your masks on, and you're more than welcome to do so. So I just wanted to let you know that that is 100% A-OK, -okay and that we embrace the, the gift of music and the call to sing on our hearts. So this week is our second to last Sunday in our sermon series about the kingdom parables. And our parable this week is about the widow and the judge. And just so you know, we saved the easiest for last. If you believe that, I'll tell you another one. The next two that we're going to be grappling with are, are doozies. And we, we will spend some time trying to figure out what it is that Jesus was trying to tell us and how Jesus was inviting us to live in the world. Will you join me in a moment of prayer as we prepare our hearts for worship? Holy God, we thank you for continuing to challenge us through the parables of your son Jesus, who became for us wisdom from on high. Even as we proclaim him as Savior, may we never forget how his disciples also called him teacher. And may your spirit keep us always open to his lessons about what it means to truly live, not only in the world to come, but in this world that you have given all people as those who know and do your will. Amen. Good. 
Good morning, children. It is good to see so many of your faces here in worship. And for those of you that are online, we're glad to have you with us as well. So I have a question for all of our children. What is a shepherd? And you have my permission to shout it out if you have an answer. Okay, Mark, you have your hand up. I do always see you. You're correct. You live with me. So that is 100% true statement. Do any of you have a definition for what a shepherd is? Yes, Sarah. A shepherd watches sheep. You're right. Thank you so much for that answer. So today in your Sunday school class, the Celebrate Wonder curriculum is going to talk about the 23rd Psalm. That might be something that you guys have heard before. And it starts off by saying, the Lord is my shepherd. And you're going to take some time to explore what it might mean for the Lord to be your shepherd. If, if shepherds watch sheep, what does that mean about us? And how does that mean that we live in the world? I hope that it means that we, oh, Mark has an answer. Yes, sir. My notes right here say, God promises to be with us and watch over us. And I promise you, I didn't actually discuss this with him beforehand. So I'm super impressed right now. I'm proud of you. You're listening to mommy. Good job. Um, <laughs> but there, there's something for us all to remember, that even when things are difficult, even when things are challenging, even when we feel like it's really dark and we don't know where to turn, we're reminded that God is with us and that God watches over us, and that is a great gift. Will you guys join me in a moment of prayer? Let's take a moment to talk to God. Dear God, thank you for today. Thank you for yesterday and tomorrow. Thank you for loving us and watching over us. Let that give us peace. Amen. All right, kiddos, you can head off to Sunday school now. Let us center ourselves and go to our God in prayer. Holy God, we open up our mind, our, our emotions, our, our soul to be touched by you, to be moved further along in our sense of awareness of who you are and what you ask of us as your children. The stirrings of our spirits, the the yearnings of our mind, the hopes of our hearts, we pray are all in line with your will 
for us. This is the, the basis of our prayer, that we align ourselves with our holy God. So help us in this time of worship to hear you and to understand you and to be affected by you. Help us to discern what it is you would have us be and do and say and give us the courage to be that kind of people. We pray for healing. We pray for renewal in our lives as we come out of these challenging days. Help us. Help us, Lord God. We think specifically this morning of Linda Northrup and her husband Dave, Kathy Drake and her husband Ken, Gary Evans's friend Pat Berner, Pastor Rachel's aunt Betsy, and our friend Steve Blassingame, all who are dealing with their cancer treatments and with their cancer in their lives, the challenges to their overall health. We pray that you continue to be with them and strengthen them as they make this journey. O oh Lord, hear our prayers. Additionally, we think of Ernie Lauer's daughter, Michelle, who is recovering and healing from her uh, preparatory chemo treatment and then her stem cell implant. And we pray that all would go well with her this week. Oh Lord, hear our prayers. We think of John Roberts, friend of Phil and Jeannie Severance, who is undergoing cancer treatments. Oh Lord, hear our prayers. For Joni Donaldson as she recovers from back surgery and Tracy Morse as she recovers from back surgery. Tracy being Janet Todd's daughter and currently suffering from some mobility complications of the surgery. Oh Lord, hear our prayers. We pray for Diane Lawson who is suffering from an ongoing intestinal ailment. O oh Lord, hear our prayers. For the Crawford's granddaughter, Brittany, with her tonsil condition and the hope that she has that a specialist will figure out what best to do to treat this ailment. O oh Lord, hear our prayers. We pray this morning for Pan Severance, sister-in-law of Phil and Jeannie, who will be having shoulder replacement surgery in the recent fall, and for Liz Peak, who will be having hip replacement surgery on July 15th. Oh Lord, hear our prayers. We pray for Deb Nagasawa, sister of, of Linda and Dave and, and her family, on the passing of her husband Rick after a a heroic battle with pancreatic cancer. Oh Lord, hear our prayers. And we think of, uh, of Liz Peak and those who were close and loved Kim 
Sasarik, who has passed on after a nine-year battle with breast cancer. We think of her loved ones, especially Kim's 10-year-old daughter, as they suffer this grief and loss. O oh Lord, hear our prayers. As Tom and Gail McNish move from us and relocate in Tennessee, we pray that all would be well with them um, and that this move would be uh, good for their family as they get closer to, to part of the family through this move. Oh, Lord, hear our prayers. And we would pray for all those who are battling covid who are providing the medical care for those who are battling disease, for those who are uh, seeking vaccinations, for all throughout the world who have been impacted by this. We pray their, their strength, their health, their determination to carry forward in the face of it all. Oh Lord, Hear our prayers. And we think of those who have experienced some joy, particular joy that they are sharing with us this week. We think of, we think of the birth of twins Lillian Hunter. We have been praying for her mother going through preeclampsia in this pregnancy. Well, the delivery has happened and we rejoice that these two youngsters are, are seemingly doing okay in NICU and that their parents are also seemingly doing okay. We rejoice over that. Oh Lord, hear our prayers. And we rejoice over good test results coming out of the treatment plan that Jim Lawson's daughter Susan has been going through. It seems that the cancer has been pushed back and we rejoice with Susan and her family and the Lawson extended family over this news. Oh Lord, hear our prayers. We take a moment now to think on those folk who are uh, in special need or ourselves who have a particular prayer request that we have kept to ourselves. We we think of this now in these time, this time of quiet. Come into these lives, Lord God. Come into these lives with a powerful touch of your healing grace and help move these individuals towards those prayer results that are full in their soul. And we would pray for our church, our ministries as we are reassembling different aspects of our life together. We pray that you would guide us and watch over us. Help us to be effective in your name. 
All this we pray in Christ Jesus' name, joining together in the prayer he taught. Our fathers who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our scripture reading today is from Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who, need, who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, Grant me justice against my opponent. For a while he refused. But later he said to himself, Though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night, Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
for the beautiful piece of music and the reminder that God's love does cover us. Will you join me in a moment of prayer? Awesome and almighty God, we give you thanks for this day, for the ways in which your spirit continue to flow around us and through us, reminding us what it means to be your people, to live in your kingdom, and to strive to make that kingdom here on earth. As we continue to reflect on the parables that Jesus told us, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and to remember that we're encouraged to wrestle and grapple with what it might mean as opposed to accepting easy, comfortable responses. Be with us that we continue to do the hard work of discerning your will for our lives 
and trying to understand more fully what the kingdom may look like. In your name we pray, amen. I wasn't lying when I said that the scripture for today was a bit of a doozy. I have struggled with the scripture for a long time, if I'm being 100% honest with you. And I'll tell you why. Because the pat surface reading of that scripture always puts me a little ill at ease. And part of that comes from the fact that the surface level reading encourages us, encourages us to take the thought or to go along the lines of, well, if I pray hard enough, what I want or what I ask for will come true. Because if a judge who is not just or right or faithful will do this if someone nags them long enough, then surely our good God will do that for us, right? But oh my goodness, that breaks my heart. I'm going to be honest with you. Because once you take that thought process a few steps further, sometimes you hear statements like, well, if you just prayed hard enough, you wouldn't have lost your loved one. And I'll tell you right now, no matter how hard you pray, someone very well may pass away. I hate to say that. And our prayers need to take the form of bring them comfort and peace, Lord, not don't take them from me. Because then we're asking God for something that at some point can't come true. That's not to say that we don't pray without fervor to God, but it's to say that just if we say something long enough and hard enough that it will come into being. Now, I know that we, we as a society, work to have this mindset of I'm going to project what I'm looking for, I'm going to project what I'm hoping for. But that's different than saying that if I needle, you know, if you had someone right next to you, you'd be needling them. If I needle God long enough, exactly what I ask for will come true. Now, we can strive for and we can work to make the things that we want a reality, but we also know that those are hopes and that they may not come true. And I hope that as we read this scripture today, we don't say, well, clearly I didn't pray to God hard enough. Clearly I didn't ask enough times. Because sometimes, regardless of the number of times we ask, our request doesn't come true. And it just turns into bad theology and something that could hurt our loved ones if they are going through something and we inadvertently say that phrase that I said earlier. And I'm only going to say it once because I really don't like it. So you can rewind if you didn't hear me the first time, okay? Um, but what have we been saying about parables this whole time? Parables are not supposed to be taken at the first cursory glance and to find the simple answer. Parables are supposed to be dug into, to be explored, to be considered in such a way that we see that there's something more in the text. Amy Jill Levine says, if a parable cannot be domesticated, if it cannot be turned into something that neatly fits our preconceived notions of religion or morality, if it discombobulates us, then we may be on the right track. There you go. We're supposed to be discombobulated. And this scripture definitely discombobulates me. Levine goes on to say, Jesus knew that the best teaching concerns how to live. Or, 
the best teaching concerning how to live and to live abundantly comes not from spoon-fed data or an answer sheet. Instead, it comes from narratives that remind us of what we already know but are resistant to recall. It comes from stories that prompt us to draw our own conclusions and at the same time force us to realize that our answers may well be contingent or leaps of faith or traps. It comes from stories that community members can share with each other, with each of us assessing the conclusions others draw and so reassessing our own. The parables, if we take them seriously, not as answers, but as invitations, can continue to inform our lives, even as our lives continue to open up the parables to new readings. My Wednesday afternoon group has been talking about this idea of allegory and how there are books of the Bible and passages within the Bible that we want to look at as allegory, where there's one true fact that we're supposed to glean from that information. And this, the quote that I just read to you from Levine tells us the exact opposite, tells us that there's not one specific nuance, but instead there are a variety of ways in which we can interpret this. Jesus told us a parable, not an allegory. And as we know, or at least as I know, as many, ser or even though I think I preach one sermon, there's as many sermons out there as there are ears to hear it. The truth is, is that the way that we interpret scripture and the way that we read scripture, there's many different interpretations as well. And that's why we get together. That's why we talk with one another. That's why we have conversations so that we can do that assessment and reassessment and digesting and mulling over the scripture in such a way that we can see what God is saying to us now. And we continue to strive and to look closer at the scripture. What do we need to unpack? Why would Jesus tell us this parable? This parable encourages us to look at our preconceived notions. I Immediately when I jump into the passage, I go, oh, the widow is clearly the hero, and the judge is clearly the villain in the situation. But maybe not. Maybe we need to look at it a little more closely. And I'm going to go back and forth in my notes, so forgive me. The widow, we, in, in, at least in my head, I'm not going to say that you guys think the same way. If you do, great, then you'll go, come with me on the journey. If not, I hope you'll jump on board at some point, and we'll figure it out. Um, for me, when I hear stories in the Bible about a widow, I automatically go, oh, the scripture tells us that we need to take care of our widows. So the widow is probably, um, doesn't have a lot of resources, probably is undervalued and overlooked by her society, and is not really supported. So she's going to the judge because she wants justice for someone who has mistreated her. And that could be the truth, but there's a reality that there's actually in both marriage contracts and in Jewish law that widows are to be taken care of. And while they cannot inherit, they can be bequeathed. This is all technical stuff that I'll admit that at a certain point I go, huh? But there's, different, there's differences that happen. So that widows are usually taken care of in the contract that they sign or their father signs for them when they get married um, so that if their husband dies before them, that they will be provided for. 
So she may be destitute and oppressed and desperate, or she may also be wealthy, powerful, and vengeful, or she may be somewhere in between. But we have to let go of the preconceived notion that we have of the widow so that we can look at the scripture a little more closely. When we think about the judge, we think about the fact that he's unjust, or we say he's unjust, but really it says that he doesn't fear God and he doesn't have respect for people. That's what the, 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 the exact lines of the scripture say. So, and not fearing God is not the same as, not be, or as being corrupt. And I would suspect that if the judge has lack of respect for people, he thinks himself better than other people and that more than likely he's not going to compromise too much so he's not going to do anything that allows him to be beholden to someone else. So he's not going to take a bribe. He's not going to do those things because then he has a relationship that then makes him beholden to someone and he doesn't want to do that. So we don't know exactly what's going on with the judge. He may not be the villain or the evil guy in our story the way that we want him to be. And the reason that I tell you that is because I'm going to take us to take a deeper look at the Greek again. If you remember a few months back, I talked about the word for justice, diokusine. And that's the word that I use multiple times in a sermon on the Sermon on the Mount, where we look for justice. And when we read the translation from the New Revised Standard Version, it says justice up on our screen. When we were watching Rick read, we saw the word justice there. But that's not the word that was used in the Greek. And I'm going to butcher this right now. The Greek word was ekdaikio, ekaidio. We're going to say that that's how it's pronounced. Go with me there. And that word doesn't mean justice. That means to be avenged. So she's not seeking for justice, she's seeking vengeance in what she's looking for. And when the judge says that he's going to give in to her, it's not that he's relenting because he's tired of like a knit at his ear, he's tired because the language that is used is one that is used as if she's going into battle. So when she says that she is looking, looking for, for support, She's looking, as I said, to avenge, vengeance. There's other words here, but I'm not going to find them, so I'm going to just go and forget them. She's looking to go into battle. She's looking to fight the fight, like a boxer going into a ring as opposed to someone who is, is pleading their case. Does that make sense? Can you see the difference between those two things? Um, she is looking for what benefits her and not necessarily the justice in the situation. We have two unsympathetic characters in this Bible story. And we sit there and go, what are we supposed to do with that? The widow's behavior is consistent, according to Levine. A person who seeks to be avenged against her opponent is not a person who loves her enemies. We readers resist the idea. We like to think that the widow, not, o not only as in need of our protection and as just but also as nonviolent. The parable destroys this terrible, or the stereotype, and the destruction, of negative, the destruction of negative stereotypes is not a bad thing. Levine says, rather than see the office 
or the social role, the parable insists that we see the person. Rather than regarding the widows as weak, we want to see them as capable, maybe even capable to the point of being violent. And that is a more honest reading of the scripture. She desires, or her desire for vengeance impacts the way that she approaches the judge. And the judge, perpetuating the system of vengeance, will prompt violence against the opponent. We know nothing about the opponent. This is like the third anonymous character in the story, right? We don't know who she's seeking vengeance for. We don't know how she, how, how she feels she's been wronged. We don't know what's going to happen. But we do know that she did not hear Jesus' lesson where he said, if someone wrongs you, bring them with you to court, try to make amends along the way, and see if you can solve the problem before you see the judge. She just goes to the judge and says, hear me out. Give me my day. Give me the vengeance that I look for. The widow didn't follow this advice, and everyone suffers. The parable ends with the judge's decision, and it ends with the story of corruption, violence, and vengefulness. We have stereotypes of the judge and the widow, but they both fall because the judge relents because of, of, of her persistence. Justice is not clearly rendered. Instead, vengeance was. Has the widow made the judge just by convincing him to rule in her favor, or has she corrupted him? What would the, the widow's opponent think, and what do we think? Levine says, the parable disturbs again because the only form of closure it creates is that in which the judge, or the widow and the judge, and so the readers, become complicit in a plan possibly to take vengeance and certainly not find reconciliation. We may resist that complicity and so opt out of the system that promotes it. Levine says, we may decide that the court cases are not worth our time, that compassion is less time-consuming and less corrupting than vengeance. And this is the part that I really like. She says, our task may to be resist the parable rather than rescue it. What does it mean to resist the parable rather than rescue it? Jesus wants us to think about things, right? Jesus wants us to consider how this lesson might tell us about the kingdom of God. If we were listeners who were hearing Jesus tell the, first, the story the first go-round, we would have picked up all of those nuances. We would have picked up the, ooh, she's not a happy camper. Ooh, she's not seeking to make amends and find things find a way so that everyone benefits. She's just looking out for number one and, and doesn't care what the, the impact could be. So if, and we could spend a lot of time trying to make this scripture one that we're comfortable with. It's okay if scripture discombobulates us. That's what we heard earlier. It's okay if it makes us continue to question and continue to pull. And I would challenge us that I'm probably not going to give us a satisfactory answer today. 
I will try to come with some nice little bow by the end, but it's still probably not going to be satisfactory. We're going to need to continue to wrestle with it more. And I encourage each of you in your own ways to wrestle it with yourself, wrestle with it with a friend as you go to lunch, wrestle with it as you have conversations on the patio or wherever else you go. Continue to grapple with what this story may be telling us. So if we're trying to resist the parable instead of rescue it, we're trying to find a way to live in the world where we are seeking the justice and the reconciliation instead of pursuing vengefulness, instead of pursuing, I need to be vindicated and I need to be proven right. But how do we seek, seek equity for those that we encounter? How do we find a way that allows all of us to thrive and to, and, and to live wholly in our world? Levine reminds us that Jesus was invested in fairness, reconciliation, and compassion. The parable of the widow and the judge defies any sort of fairness. The justice and the unjust judge, we should not forget that description, offers, offers the justice and the unjust judge offers is not the justice of God or a program of fairness. It is granting a legal decision based on not on merit, but on a threat. There is no reconciliation in the parable. There is only revenge. There is no compassion, neither by the judge for the widow, nor by the widow for the judge. With Jesus' story, he forces us to find a moral compass. And at the same time that we learn that, that to do so, we need to interrogate our stereotypes and think about the right questions and the ones we hesitate to ask. This parable today definitely does have those heavy questions. It asks us to think about what we are projecting on someone else, what we are placing on them, and how we can separate them from the images that we create of them to see them truly as they are, not just a definition or a, a no, a definition, we're going to stick there, but instead as a person, an individual who makes their own choices and lives in the world. And then we're encouraged to let go of those stereotypes, see each person as they are, and see ways, if we are anywhere in that Bible story, to find ways instead of seeking vengeance if we've been wrong to seek that reconciliation and that justice that Jesus desires in our peaceable kingdom, that Jesus desires as we build the kingdom of God here on earth. Amen? are invited to share of your resources to help build the kingdom of God as best that we can through our discernment of, of justice and acts of compassion among us that God may actually be delighted with. You will see instructions on your screen that give you suggestions on how to make those donations. Um, if you are here present with us and, and haven't participated yet, there will be plates at the door on your way out that you can share of your blessings to help become 
a blessing to others. Your generosity is needed to help us to be doing the good that we are doing, so I encourage you in that generosity. Jenny, the passion in which you play brings joy to all of our hearts. Thank you so much. And Gloria, Donna, Russ, and Tom, we thank you for being here in worship to bring music to us this day and to help us praise God through music. We appreciate it. Friends, I hope that we remember that we are invited to lean on the everlasting arms of our God that we are rooted in love, nurtured in love, so that we can go forth in love, confident that the God who created us in love, the Christ who meets us in love, and the Holy Spirit who inspires us to love goes with us each and every day on the journey. Be well. Amen.